Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Welcome, everyone. This is the Sundance TV and Legal Zoom panel. My name is Madhu Goyle Southworth. I'm super excited to be here today. Um, I'm a lawyer for AMC TV Networks as well as Sundance TV. I've been practicing for about 15 years, and uh, during that course of time, my practice has taken me to independent film, documentaries, and now uh, I live totally in the world of television, but you know, many of the legal issues that we face are very much the same. Um, I'm going to have my esteemed panelists introduce themselves, talk a little bit about who they are, their films, and um, what brings them here with us this afternoon. Thank you. Hi, I'm uh, Sarah Megan Thomas. I'm a producer and uh, one of the actresses in the female-driven Wall Street movie, Equity, which premieres tonight. Thank you. Um, and yeah, that's that. Oh, and it's the first female-driven Wall Street movie, and it's also a post-financial crisis Wall Street movie, which is something we have never seen. Uh, it takes place in the world of IPOs, a la Facebook and taking a social media company public, which is also something aside of Wall Street we haven't seen. Thank you, Sarah. I'm Tom Dunlap. I have no films. Um, I'm an attorney. I've worked on films. I've been on the contract side and the corporate side, and I've been on the litigation side. So I, I sued a whole bunch of people for the film Hurt Locker, which maybe somebody remembers. Um, was kind of a little bit of a problem for people downloading that film. Uh, but I've dealt with uh, script writing. I'm actually, uh, I think, an associate producer on uh, Assault on Wall Street, which is a 2013 film. So I've been kind of everywhere in the film industry, but I have no films. So no need to clap. These guys are premiering today, so this is well, pretty exciting. I'll we're, still not, we're not nervous, though. <laughs> I'll still clap for him. So legal questions clearly go, go right here. Um, so I'm Sam Slater. Uh, do have a film here uh, premiering in about an hour and a half called The Intervention. Um, our company's called Burn Later Productions. We're going to do sort of a joint intro because we're part of the same company, part of the same team. It's like a Penn and Teller type of thing. It yeah. is. Um, so yeah, Sam and I started Burn Later about three years ago. Uh, some of our films are Drinking Buddies, Results, um, Adult Beginners, Yosemite with James Franco, which is out in theaters now. Um, and we, uh, we produced The Intervention uh, last summer in Georgia, which Clea Duvall wrote and directed, and we're excited to be here. Thank you. Now, just to frame the discussion a bit, you know, I think um, we all know that independent films have tight budgets, and unfortunately, just because they have tight budgets doesn't mean that they don't have the same legal issues that a lot of films that are backed by studios do. 
So one of the challenges that independent filmmakers and producers face is tackling the same sorts of legal issues that arise on tight budgets. They often have to make a cost-benefit analysis. They have to assess risk. And assessing that risk can look very different for people who have unlimited resources. So I want to go down the panel and um, maybe start with our producers to talk a little bit about, you know, when you embark on the filmmaking process, what sort of legal and financial issues do you guys keep in mind? Well, I think that um, for us specifically, we get a lot of packages and we sift through a lot of, you know, not bad material, there's something for everybody, but material that's right for our brand, which is really relationship pieces with a comedic element. So we're looking for something fairly specific. And we have, we've done enough films now, and Sam and I both got into this with separate real estate development companies. So we, we've built business backgrounds before, so we're pretty good in terms of budgeting. Um, and have a, a fair amount of legal experience from, from those businesses. So we're looking for something fairly specific that can be made for a budget that we think has enough margin in there that we could we can come to a festival like Sundance and sell it. Great. For me, um, it's all about finding a script where you don't have to pay money upright when you have no money and you have to raise the money. So with my first film, I wrote it. <laughs> uh, so, and, and then I obviously had the legal rights to it. But with this film, um, we actually commissioned a writer. Uh, we did the treatment, and then we interviewed writers, and we actually did an agreement with her where she was going to be paid from first money raised, which allowed us to have a screenplay and property but also not have to put money out there. Um, and the other thing I will say is my dad's a lawyer, and I got a lot of free legal help, which helps oh. make all my movies. <laughs> so Everyone could be so lucky. Yes. One other, if we're talking about you know, legal issues and, and trying to actually limit legal costs as well, early on in the process of making a film, what we like to do, which may be somewhat unique, but it works well, right, and it makes things more simple, is to, rather than embark on optioning a project, uh, and then a year down the line, um, having a second round of, of, of paperwork where you're going to do a financing agreement and financing structures. What we try to do is, it's maybe risky, but but it works for us, is to sort of combine them both. So do some do some early development work on the project in advance without really formal agreements in place. Uh, and then when we do our first set of docs, it's a combo, basically, where um, we have our financing structure in a document, our everything's in one, and we do it sort of once. Um, and that's worked for us. A little bit more difficult if you're attempting to raise financing down the line and throughout the process, but if you are able to organize things and structure it the right way, that can really, really help simplify the legal process and limit your costs as well. We do all the deal points ourselves, too. We, we've been doing this long enough, so we go back and forth with the agencies, do the deal points ourselves, and then our attorney, who's hourly, as opposed to set for the, for the fee, because our attorney is most focused on our own company and our financing agreement, we then turn it over to him, and he's very active in you know, in managing the whole process all the way through. Paul, you said something very interesting. You said that because we've been doing this so long, we're able to do the deal points ourselves. I mean, you know, I think that that <clears throat> goes to show that experience, you learn from experience, right? So a lot of our filmmakers in the audience may not have that same experience. Um, if that's the case, at what point do you think you should get legal counsel involved? I, I would say the sooner the better, right? Because you can't, it's hard to go backwards on a bad contract. So I think if you, there are plenty of attorneys that are out there, younger attorneys, you can get them involved in the project, you know, as Tom said, in terms of a credit or you know, financial stake in it as well. I think that will do make a, a, a good deal for a project that they like and respond to and, um, and get them involved soon because you don't want to go out there without representation. We're just fi and five cents on that. Totally agree. 
but you don't want to get your divorce lawyer or your DUI lawyer necessarily um, in if for you're, equity. If you're a drinker, you do, but yeah. yeah. Uh, that could be, it could be a convenient side benefit, but generally you want somebody who deals in corporate law or contracts at a minimum, if not an entertainment attorney, which on the whole, they tend to be more expensive hourly, but it's worth at least talking to one before you start your project, I think. Oh, sorry, I, if I wasn't clear, yeah, I mean, you have to get a film attorney. Don't yeah. go, yeah, don't go get a real estate attorney to do this. It's not that helpful. You know what's helpful to do that we've, we've done, and I don't, and I think this is sort of just common practice, but speaking to other filmmakers, friends who have made films, uh, whether they were successful or not, if they've gone through the process, speaking to them about the contracts that they use, taking a look at them, understanding what what's worked for them and what didn't, I know that we, we mentor a lot of younger filmmakers, and, and that's, that's a huge part of the process is understanding this early on, and, and we share a lot of documents. And I'm not you know, encouraging folks to do their own legal work, but it's certainly somewhat helpful to try to educate yourself. Well, it's and, free. And guys, I mean, can, can I ask you, and maybe you as well, but you can go online and form your own LLC, right? You can, you could some use of legal, stuff. I bet you LegalZoom <laughs> right. is a good place to do <laughs> that, actually. But I'm saying there's some things you can do yourself, and there's some things you shouldn't do. So if you've never negotiated a contract, you probably shouldn't do that. So pick and choose the things you do kind of in a sensible way. I think talking to your friends is probably the best way to figure that out. But um, there's some things you can save money on if you're a zero finance optioning a screenplay person. We and talk I also think there's just tons of talent out there, and there are writers who are willing to write for deferred comp. And the only other thing I would say is it's really important to have options because as a negotiator, you cannot walk away from a contract if you're not willing to. And so I just think it's really important if there's a deal point right up front you're not comfortable with and they're not moving and you're not moving, well, then maybe it's not the right fit because it is you really have to find a family that wants to work as a team and is all happy with the deal points you settle on. One, one thing to drill down before we move on, if we're moving on to something else, but is, is about costs. Um, so when we're talking about legal work and we're talking about how you can go about it, how we've all done it, I think it's helpful sometimes for people to understand, you know, what does that cost? What does that look like? And how can you get the best deal possible with an entertainment lawyer to help you do this? Um, and it's really not always, I don't want to take away from any billing hours that you may be getting in the future, but it's really not always that impossible to strike a really wonderful deal with a sort of flat all-in rate with an attorney. As recently as last year, we had, an, for, our, for our film where we had maybe like six to eight different actor deals, we had some location agreements, we had an operating agreement that was, again, a com it was sort of a financing agreement all in one. But it was a pretty comprehensive list of, of, uh, of an all-in production council, right? And I think we paid $5,000. Mm. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's very good. So, yeah. no, no, granted, the project was, I think. Not as good as free. <laughs> I mean, but, but no, I think it's helpful to understand at least that like, it's an, it, 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 it can be attainable at, an, at a price that an independent film can't afford. Yeah, and I think festivals like Sundance specifically are a great place to meet those types of attorneys going to events that you know Sundance is sponsoring and really networking around. And maybe it's not, get, taking the card is not useful now, but down the road when you need somebody and you met them and they're very nice and seem compassionate and want to help a younger filmmaker or someone with not as much experience, I think that's a great place to, to, to start. Yeah, I agree. Tom, can you talk a little bit about maybe alternative arrangements that you've made with your clients when they haven't been able to afford um, paying you your hourly rate? So we have on occasion, after we kind of look at the producers and the script, we look, to look at the whole package, we can make a decision sometimes to do legal representation on the back end, where we get paid when they raise money or we get paid when the film is distributed. That's more rare. But um, certainly there are certain films, if it's a good enough film, that we believe in because we like doing this stuff as much as you do, or maybe not as much, but almost as much. 
um, where we'll do that. And I know there are a lot of firms out there that are entertainment focused that will do this as well. Uh, but you have to go to that firm with your pitch. So you can't just go to the firm and say, hey, I'm making a movie. Would you consider doing it on the, you know, would you consider doing it when I raise money? And you don't have kind of your, your package together. So you really have to have a good pitch to convince an attorney or an accountant or whoever you're working with. I don't know if you guys have ever done that with anybody, but uh, finance people uh, to help you. We, we do. I mean, the way we got that, that deal last time around was not, it wasn't charity work. It was, it was sort of a, we had our, our pitch together. We had the project together. We had some cast assembled. The material was great. And it was, it was like a mutually beneficial situation where the attorney wanted to be a part of the project. And, uh, and that's what helped us get to a, a number. And that's that exactly great. when it'll work out for you. Yeah. Right. And I also and think it depends on the budget. So, for example, a lot of attorneys um, will take a percentage of the budget. That's another way to organize your fee structure. And so if you're making a $250,000 movie, that's different than if you're making a $5 million movie. And you can negotiate that way and say, hey, this is, this is a $250,000 movie. Come on, I'll give you 1% of my budget, 2% of my budget. And you may find someone who will do that. I want to make sure you don't go over budget in that scenario. Budgets are flexible, right? Budgets are very flexible. Yeah, I think with our attorney, who's unfortunately for us expensive, you get what you pay for. You know, we, we've been using him now for close to three years. There's a level of trust and comfort there that we're not having to really read every single line of the, you know, of the document like we used to because we know he's doing a good job. And obviously on your first deal, you, you know, you're going to want to be more involved and read more. But I think to, to what these guys were saying a minute ago, too, Going out and finding an attorney to do it for cheaply, I think they're going to want, the pitch is so important because, you know, they want to say, yeah, I was the counsel on Beast of the Southern Wild or I was the counsel on, you know, Obvious Child. That is as much for their calling card as yours. So when they go out and, you know, they're going to raise their fee accordingly because of that. Which is why we don't get much repeat. If the film works, they say, great. And the price is not the same the second time. <laughs> Unfortunately. I want to talk um, a minute about the dichotomy um, between the artistic process and the legal process. You know, oftentimes I think deals are made on a handshake or over dinner um, and through relationships, right? And these relationships that you have um, are, are somewhat personal uh, with writers or actors or directors. And when your lawyer sort of you know, slips the paper in front of them, that's the buzzkill, right? Because there's there's terms on paper that that um, maybe you haven't talked about or that you have to get to protect yourselves. So how do you guys deal with the artistic process versus the legal process and um, and deal with some of the yeah, challenges that arise? I, I just want to jump in real quick here and say, I actually really highly do not recommend doing anything with your friends until you have a piece of paper, really. And I've had bad experiences, um, in fact, on this film, we almost worked with another set of writers and we were working on a treatment on their computer and we didn't have a signed agreement that was gonna come, 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 didn't come and we had to walk. And all the work we did is in the trash. Now we have a great movie and I'm so, and our writer Amy Fox is incredible and did an amazing job, but you can't get into business with your friends without a piece of paper. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I would third that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the, the art of the buzzkill, uh, right, so it's, it is important to do that early on. What, what Paul and I like to do um, is to speak principle to principle, whether it's to a, a, a filmmaker, a writer, a director, to talent. We like to speak to them directly rather than have lawyer talk to lawyer, no offense, right? Because it gets messy, it gets contentious, it gets uncomfortable. Um, and if you're able to just talk things through in a simple way with someone and, and sort of come to an understanding and then have the lawyers do the work to paper it afterwards, A, it's gonna be cheaper, it's gonna be less complicated, 
and you'll likely have an easier experience. I do agree clearly that you have to. Yeah, I mean, I'll back you up. I tell clients, if you go talk to somebody directly, it's going to save you a ton of money because I have to go talk to you, ask you what you want, have to tell their lawyer, their lawyer has to tell them. And so absolutely work out the deal first, then go see your lawyer and tell them to paper it up. Yeah, because the over-lawyering is a real issue, too. I mean, our attorney goes out there trying to win the best points for us, and that's great, but sometimes he, he's so aggressive, he's winning points we don't even necessarily need. So, or it kills the deal. Or it, right, absolutely. right, I mean, attorneys can kill so many deals. No. <laughs> so that's why you need to find one that fits, absolutely. Or that's why you use LegalZoom.com. <laughs> Free plug. And I think it goes back to finding the deal points you want. And don't worry about the little ones you don't care about, because then it's not over-lawyered. All, all really good points, yeah. Um, Tom, you know, you interestingly enough, your practice takes you both on the transactional and the litigation side. And on the litigation side, you are often fixing problems after the fact that probably could have been taken care of before the fact for a fraction of the cost. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of things that you see that people overlook in the first instance? Sure. So I think probably the one that's the most common is clearance and getting your IP rights Bible. So what a lot of filmmakers will do, or they're super artistic, and they'll come in and be like, hey, we, we just shot this great like film, and we need help now. We shot it on a budget of $1,000 or whatever. But there's, I don't know, I think you were saying there's an NFL football game in the background, or there's um, you know, something in the background that you don't own. I actually had a, a television commercial. Somebody walked in, and, and they'd filmed it, production budget, pretty big production budget for a commercial, and they didn't own the song at all. And we couldn't buy it after it was done. So that kind of sucked. Um, I think you even have a story yeah, about that. Actually, yeah. so for good segue. Giving away secrets, right? So um, in our film, The Intervention, which premieres this afternoon, um, one of the opening scenes, we're at an airport. There is a car rental sort of checkout counter where I do play the esteemed manager of, of that So you are facility. an actor. No, definitely not, but <laughs> I try. It's like Tarantino. I'm not talented enough for that. So the scene is really not um, controversial, I don't think, in any way. Right? There's really nothing in it that's inappropriate that you don't think a company would want to be to not associate themselves with. We had the hardest time, and I'm glad we checked it out in advance. It's something that didn't seem that it was an issue, and we very well could have just thrown up the name of the company and worried about it later. Fortunately, we didn't. Couldn't get any car rental company to let us use their name, even with the profile of our actors, even with the type of film that it, nothing. They had no interest. We got passes from every car rental company, which forced us to be creative. We made something up, designed a logo, and, and it's kind of fun and cool, and hopefully you'll, you'll see it. But that was, I don't know, it was, it was an obstacle that we encountered that we never thought would have been an obstacle in something so simple. Yeah, and you, but you just have to, that was annoying, but it worked. Um, but you got to know that before. You can't figure that out. I mean, we don't, there's no CGI budget here for later where we're all like putting something else in. It, that's a difficult and it's a pain. So you well, just have to figure that. And you'll you never really be able to distribute it either, right? What's that? You'll never be able to distribute your well, right, film. That's exa that, that, if you don't have your rights about. Bible, you can't hand it to a distributor and... Yeah, absolutely. So just don't shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> well, and actually with the Wall Street film, that was incredibly tricky because we couldn't use any banks' names, any hedge funds' names, any tickers, any graphs. I mean, if you see the movie, there's graphs everywhere in the movie. Um, and Bloomberg was a sponsor, and they created fake graphs for us. And when we started Googling it, every rock every, it is a hedge fund. <laughs> like every name is a bank somewhere. So it became a real hurdle to find a name that actually like feels like a bank, but is generic enough where it's not Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan. Yeah, I mean, clearance issues, I think, present some of the most unique problems on, um, in filmmaking, and they also inspire creativity. Sarah, you and I were talking 
um, about a really great anecdote that you have, uh, not on equity, but of a previous film. So would you talk about it a little bit? Oh, sure. So music clearance is really tough in indie films because you have like $500 a song for, you know, worldwide, for rights forever. And you have to have them or the film won't be distributed. So my last film was Backwards, and um, there's a scene in the movie with me and James Vanderbeek where we're at a prom chaperoning it today, but um, a song comes on that is a so our song from a prom when we were in high school 15 years ago. So it had to be, it couldn't be a song that was just made up. It had to be something people recognized. And this is where I think, like, don't take no for an answer. I wanted time after time, which, as you all know, would be a fortune. I researched it. I found out that Cindy Lauper didn't write the song herself. She wrote it with a man named Rob Hyman, who's from Philly, where I'm from. I researched it more. His kids go to my high school. I went to my, the headmaster of my high school, got his home address, went to his home, showed him the film, and he loved the film and got Cindy Lauper and Sony to give us the film, and if I, uh, to give us the song. And if I told you the amount of money we paid for that song, I mean, nothing. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's a good story. It's a fun story, and it really makes the movie because you see that sequence when they're at prom, and you're like, that's Cindy Lauper's song. You feel them going back in time. I think that my experience is, is that I don't have as much luck as you, apparently. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so congrats People would be that. freaked out if we went to their house. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, no one wants us showing up at their house. We, we, we do sort of two things, just to be sort of simple and straightforward about it. We either work on step deals with an artist for the song based on box office grosses. Um, so if the film hits certain thresholds, they will get paid additional amounts. So you know, that's something that works in an indie film is really useful uh, where you can sort of get songs that are known but pay a little bit or much less up front but incentivize the artist down the road. Works better if you have some known cast or marketable cast or talent where they, they this artist or their representation thinks there's a chance of some of those thresholds being hit. Right. I mean, the, what you're, the, what, that film, Adult Beginners, we have a David Bowie song, uh, Arrested Development, 1990. Um, so there's some well-known music in there and you just said you can't go crazy with that because then the distributor is going to really push back in the sale process and not want to eat those eat those costs. But it is a great way to put recognizable music into your film. Or, or in Dude, actually. So there's another film that that uh, that we produced yeah. that shot. It was last month. Yeah. Yes. Um, really important scene, hilarious scene in the movie. But it was a it was like a really famous Dr. Dre song um, that everyone knows. I mean, it was you needed it. Um, but sometimes if you're not going to be able to make a step deal because simply your your film and your budget just it's not going to work you're going to cut the song. It's gone. And you're going to have to be creative and really find something that's um, going to do the trick, but it's not the same. And that's just a, that's not like a, I'm not delivering good news with that. It's just reality. It's, it's in our experience, it's one of the two. If you want something known, it's a step deal, you're going to cut it. Or, or you could make the intervention and Clea Duvall could be your director and her best friends could be Tegan and Sarah. And then Tegan and Sarah can score the film for you. I think another tip is find a great music supervisor. I use the same one on both my films. He has his own private label of indie artists trying to come up. And so he could send us hundreds of songs that were $500 for a worldwide clearance. And he has the rights to all of them. Um, so that's, that's a good tip, too. Great. Um, let's talk about cease and desist letters a little bit. Do they work? Yes. <laughs> Tell me why. Uh, we did a deal with a distributor, um, and um, they didn't pay us our full minimum guarantee that they had said they would pay us. And then, you know, two days before the film, we had not gotten the full payment that was supposed to happen to date. So there's a lot of people that are scared of distributors on the whole, and they don't want to rock the boat. But instinctively, and we need to get paid. 
uh, very simple. So we sent them a cease and desist letter, and it, and, it, and it did work, and we got paid by wire probably eight hours later. Um, so th I think the moral of the story is you need to just not be afraid of you know David versus Goliath, and you need to realize that you made that deal. And well, well you guys are sort them. of unique in that you sent a cease and desist letter. So a lot of independent films get cease and desist letter. And I, you're, you're like you've never gotten one because you're on top of your rights. But that's the other thing that happens to a lot of independent film companies is they'll get a letter from somebody that they didn't get clearance from who saw a teaser or a trailer or something that you put on the internet because the internet is everywhere all the time. And uh, you know my advice on that is don't be afraid of it um, because they don't, we have a copyright statute. I'm not gonna bore you with that right now. There's a lot of rights they have if they have a registration, but uh, talk to a lawyer and see how you can respond to that cease and desist letter. Don't throw your, throw your film in the trash or anything. Please. I want to talk a little bit about permissions that you may need. Um, Sarah, I know that uh, you know working on equity, you guys interviewed quite a few people um, to get real life stories in in the writing, and um, you know just tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, I, we interviewed um, I want to say over a hundred Wall Streeters, including the CEO at a major bank, about their experiences on and off Wall Street. And I think what's important, and how I got that meeting, is I just wrote them a letter about the film, a real letter, not an email. Um, so that's also a great tool. But uh, I think it's about, um, A, we did not use any real stories. So we said to them, anything you tell us uh, is not going in the film. We are more interested in the sense, your sensibilities, what it's like in this world, and using that. And in fact, many of them agreed to talk to you yes. on the condition that they would remain anonymous. Yes, and some wanted to be public. So for example, um, one of our co-producers is a woman named Barbara Byrne. She's the highest um, female banker at Barclays in the IPO world. And she wanted to be public, and she wants her story to be public. So I think it's just about balancing what the individual wants and respecting it. And one tip I will say, having done a lot of press this week, is press will like really push you to get what they want. And I think it's really important, as if you're a reporter, to, to stick to what you said to the people you were interviewing. Great. Um, I want to open it up for question audience, uh, questions from the audience. I think there's a mic. Hello. Um, I have a question about sales agents and distributors, kind of along the lines of what you guys were talking about. Working with real kind of, I would say independent films between 200,000 and 2 million, I think there's a lot of sales agents and distributors who underreport, or who, like in the post-production phase, maybe they'll put in a little bit of money for extra visual effects or extra posts. And we're experiencing with a film that we did that's doing pretty well right now, where they're not giving us any of the contracts of the, uh, of the money that they spent, and they're definitely underreporting. We're definitely seeing that. I'm, trying, I'm kind of curious of the experiences that you've had when you don't really have the money to get the kind of lawyer and you have these sales agents that are quite bold. They're basically just saying, you know you can't sue us. So... You need huh. to get a lawyer. Uh, no. But I'm just curious. I would like to hear some of these other experiences are, are you not the audience. Are you getting statements? or? or I mean, they're, they're dishonest. They're dishonest, and they're basically, they basically know that we don't have the money to challenge them, and they basically said in emails, we're not giving it to you. Can you go sit in their office? They're in Toronto, but... Oh. I'm just curious if you guys have had those kinds of experiences with really we, bold, we, crass we, we, we sales have, Yeah, agents. I mean, we sent them a cease and desist letter. 
I mean, no, not to be cute about the last story there. I think sometimes... We tried that, but they don't seem to care. What's that? No, well, they took the letter, and they're a big company, and that corporate culture starts from the top at that company. So I think, realistically, there's sometimes you just have to have an attorney. And that you could send them the same letter from you that the attorney is going to send, but it just will not carry the same weight. Oh, no, we had an attorney. They didn't, still didn't care. They w they're trying to force us to spend a ton of money because they just... No, we don't have the money to challenge them. R risk, like how much, you know, sort of a... A calculation, right? So, what's it going to cost you to go forward and proceed? What, what's upside is actually there? It's a judgment call. Right. That's I mean, a tough and, one. and talking to a, you, but you talk to a good litigator. Don't talk to a good, you know. I mean, so so stuff. ten cents. You're here in the U.S. and I don't know what your agreement with them says, but if you can bring a tort claim where you are, it's going to be really expensive for them to defend that. So, I mean, you. Well, so you have to go outside the contract, maybe. I, I mean, I don't know all your facts and circumstances, but there's some ways maybe that you can work around it depending on what they're doing. If they're committing fraud or something like that, and they intended to from the beginning, you can set aside. I won't go into it all. But Talk to Tom after the panel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, please. Right over there, in the back. I, it's a quick question, but what's the worst legal mistake you've ever made? For Good us? Good question. Um, for us, it was. Law school? <laughs> I don't have that one. I don't have that one. For us, it was we thought that we had finished all of our actor deals. Um, and as you know, agents can be sort of dodgy and they're busy and they don't respond to you, and that's just how it is. And we started shooting our movie. We thought everything was done. We agreed in principle. We had emails saying we were closed and done and yeah, all that. Well, we finished the film and we were packaging up our, our, our film for a sale, and we realized we didn't have a couple actor deals signed. Um, and that really was incredibly scary. We didn't think we could sell the film. We, and we were getting sort of pushed for different terms after the fact. And you know, that was, I think that was our scariest and most horrifying instance of a, a legal issue that, that could have been catastrophic for a film um, financially, for the release of it, for anyone seeing it, for a waste of a year and a half of our lives. Um, and so we are, we just learned and we won't, I won't start, no, no one's going to come start, there isn't going to be an actor that comes to set to start shooting unless we're signed up and we're done. Um, but it happens. Not to us anymore. We didn't walk on this stage until all of us signed a moral rights release, a copyright release. Yeah, you know, ironically, none of us really read them. the rights to this thing when you just put it in front of us. We're like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. I read it. I just, it was of course, you did, but. I didn't. <laughs> Hope everything I sign is okay or I need a lawyer. They own it's the film fine. now. It's fine. A question over there. Um, can I get the mic over there? Thank you. I have a two-part question. Um, first one, I've been told by, uh, I haven't utilized this, but been told by, uh, you know, some law schools that they do take on film projects. They don't do anything uh, financially uh, contract-wise, but uh, they're willing to accept non-student, you know, features. And uh, do you have any experience uh, or suggestions with that, especially as an indie filmmaker? You can save the cost, and, you know, uh, of course, their students are working on it, so, but they're, at least they have a supervising professor or something like that. I think that's case by case. If they're supervising professors like a rock star of entertainment law, yeah, maybe. Uh, if he's, you know, a law professor with some students and you're saving money, maybe not. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I'm, I'm no, I have no experience. I'm personally with it. uncomfortable with that. What I would say that's not going to be nearly as cheap, but is cheaper, is trying to find the most junior associate or a very junior associate at a bigger firm that is having one of the partners, you know, glance over the work that's being done, but they're doing the, you know, the brunt of the work. Also, I don't know where you're from, but in New York, for example, there's an organization called Lawyers for the Arts, and it's a pro bono organization. They offer pro bono legal 
advice to filmmakers and other artists. And the way they do that is that they'll have junior associates at very big law firms work with partners and um, take on you know the sort of cases and issues that they're interested in. So I know plenty of filmmakers and writers who've gotten great great legal advice through that organization. You should check them out. Thank you. Um, my other question was, uh, besides getting an attorney, is there any other way to, uh, for a filmmaker to understand all the legal uh, jargon once contracts start coming in, or is it just best to go straight to a lawyer? I mean, if I give my opinion, obviously I'm a little biased, but um, if you're talking about legal jargon and contracts that you don't clearly understand, you should get a lawyer. Reading a book is not going to suddenly elucidate this for you, in my opinion. I mean, maybe you guys, have, you guys have business experience and you can read contracts. Yeah, but, but, but I think you're completely correct. I do think, though, what's nice about, I think there's a sort of a middle ground as well. So if you do it a couple of times over and you get past the hurdle of your first film, short or feature, as long as you did some sort of legal work where you're familiarizing yourself with terms and format and contracts, it, it becomes a little less foreign. Um, and you will still need your, your lawyer's help, but a little bit less on certain phrases and, and, and concepts that you actually start to understand yourself. So it gets better. You can negotiate more, but you should, before you sign it, have your lawyer look at it. Because there's tricky stuff that we can stick in there that would suck for you. And meaningful consultation side. is useless <laughs> if that's in your agreement. Wyatt. I also think I also think that beyond just understanding the provisions, it's the uh, the grunt work. You know, it's time consuming. You have to pay attention to detail. And uh, if, as the creative executive on your project, your time is being taken away worrying about the contracts, you're not spending the time where you really want to, doing the fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, do what you do well, which is make movies. Don't do what other people have been trained to do and do well, because you're just wasting time. You're going to take five times as long to tr figure out something half as well. Question over there in the back. So there was an article published online recently how Concussion was able to get away with not getting NFL clearances because it's used in the nature of that world. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like it would be the same case for whatever um, car rental place it would be for your for scene in your film. Well, sounds like fair use. I mean, that it would be well. This, this is well outside of fair use, what they're doing. What you're saying sounds like the doctrine of fair use under copyright uh, law. You don't have the same thing in trademark, but if they're portraying it for an academic reason. In other words, they're using content for something that falls within this, this copyright doctrine. Then maybe, I don't, I'm not familiar with it offhand, but that's what it sounds like. Other questions? Go ahead. Um, so I just watched uh, Tangerine, a uh, movie shot on uh, iPhone, um, and apparently the filmmaker uh, just went to SoundCloud and just um, contacted a bunch of um, uh, musicians, got uh, music for 100 bucks a song, whatnot. Um, so it's an eclectic ensemble of a bunch of musicians. I'm sure having a music supervisor is very helpful. Um, and, and this uh, goes into my own project. I have uh, putting together a feature, an anthology feature of a bunch of short films. Any recommendations when you're working with so many different artists, uh, you know, uh, what precautions would one need to take legally uh, before even jumping into that seat? Because it, it kind of scares me, especially listening to what you guys are talking about, to, to jump into that. Tom, do you want to take that one? Sure. I, I feel like I'm talking a lot. So. Um, well, obviously... You're a lawyer, though. So yeah, <laughs> there's that. So written contracts. I mean, I think they just said it a second ago. Everything has to be locked down in writing, and it sounds really boring and outside of the creative process. That's why you have your lawyer do it when you figure out your lawyer. 
but everything needs to be in writing. Your deal with your friends who you're making the movie with, your deal with your actors, your deal with your musicians, everything's in writing before you do it. But and for your, for your case, though, right, Lisa, you can work with a lawyer to have a, a template, so for a form for this, where you can then use that same form but change out some of the specifics for that song, for that artist, and for where the rights may be held. So you can sort of manipulate that on your own a little bit. Probably not, you know, our lawyer here is not going to say that's a great idea, maybe? No, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. So my caution would be, I, I've done that with clients before, all kinds of contracts, but what I would say is, I tell clients, well, you can change the price and you can change the song name, but if you change anything else, you have to call me. So, I mean, that's that's really the, that's because that's where the risk comes in for us. We've handed you something like a, a burning torch, you know. But if you're doing this yourself and you're looking to go out to a dozens of different artists, that's a really cost-effective way for you to do the work yourself and still have the protection legally that you're looking for. Unfortunately, I think we've run out of time. I want to thank all of our panelists. Thank um, you. You guys were amazing. Congratulations on the premiere of your films. Thanks, everyone.